Hello everyone, welcome to the Got A Case of Wanderlust podcast, a show dedicated to all things travel. I'm your host Lydia, and on this episode, you'll hear a conversation between me and another fellow traveler that will hopefully inspire you for your next travel adventure. If you enjoy listening, consider following the show and giving it a rating on Spotify, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. It would mean so much to me. All right, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> All right, everyone, hello. We're back with another guest. Her name is Brittany Sneller, but she goes by Brie. So Brie is a travel blogger, photographer, writer, and now podcaster of the show Slow Mad <laughs> Stories, who aims to promote more responsible and mindful travel. So we're so lucky to have her today. Um, and thank you so much for being here today, Brie. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about slow travel and beyond. So <laughs> happy to be here. Thanks again. I am so excited to talk with you today because more responsible, mindful travel is something I'm super passionate about um, because for a more sustainable future of travel, we need to consider how we're traveling, not just where, when, and all yeah. that. Um, okay. So before mm-hmm. we dive into that, I always like to ask, what do you think sparked your wanderlust? Ooh, good question. Um, let's see. I I think it was really thanks to a family vacation to Belize when I was quite young. I would say around mm, 10 years old. My family took us, my parents took me and my sister to Belize, and that was just such an adventure. And I remember being a little girl being completely like amazed and jaw dropped at the Mayan pyramids, at the culture, at the at the friendliness of the locals and just like this kind of wild adventurous atmosphere. We went caving, we went snorkeling and it was just, I don't know, something that's really imprinted on my brain. And like, even though we have no more photos or footage of that trip at all, like we can't find it or like they're rotten on some old camera somewhere. Um, I just, it's so vivid still in my mind. And like, when I go back to that part of the world, you know, I was in Guatemala and in southern Mexico, so near Belize, and like seeing kind of that similar landscape, um, it just, yeah, makes me feel so curious and so adventurous inside, and I really feel like I've, I'm, I've been driven all my life by that kind of feel, feeling, that sense of curiosity um, to see, to see what's out there, see the world. Um, that's something I think about a lot every day, like, <laughs> where to next? <laughs> Me too, girl, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so many places to see and, yeah, so little time to see it all. <laughs> oh, yeah, I say that all the time because people are always like, where Where do you want to go to next? What's your dream destination? I'm like, I want to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. I know. I list, list, list off countries like um, my number one until recently was Japan and I finally got to check that Ooh. off my list but um, my gosh yeah <laughs> now there's Egypt that was second so now I need to head over to Egypt soon. Egypt is definitely on my bucket list as well by the way how did you come up with your blog name bucket list Brie? Oh good question um, it came later actually so my the first blog names that I had when I started my blog in Kathmandu when I was living there, I think the first one was Sharing Wonderlust, um, <laughs> which is pretty 
yeah um pretty typical I'd say I wanted to share wonderless so that wasn't much inspiration behind that and then it changed to living with wonderless and then it changed to bits of brie and then finally in 2019 or early really early 2020 I I rebranded redid my blog and I've always loved like alliteration so bucket list brie just sounded good and it kind of reflected what um, my lifestyle was about not that I was just chasing a bucket list but more about like a travel bucket list but the bucket list of life so for me adventure is more just you know living an adventurous lifestyle is more than checking off a list of like seeing the pyramids or scuba diving stuff like that it's more about living fully living curiously and um yeah living adventurously so <laughs> it kind of just came to me and uh I checked of course if it was free available because a lot of those kind of names are not and it was so I claimed it as mine and yeah I haven't really decided to rebrand since I don't think it, I need to and people know me now by Bucketless Bree so <laughs> yeah it was a good choice I guess <laughs> amazing and you have some really good content on there I've been reading a lot of your articles about the responsible traveling. And oh, on one you. of your articles, um, you write one definition of responsible travel, which is that it's all about being aware of our choices and choosing the route of less impact. So can you oh, maybe break down what this means? And yeah. Oh, thanks for doing the little research. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, so... I think a lot of people these days, they, um, have you ever watched, before I get into this, have you ever watched, um, The Last Tourist, I think it's called, yes. it's a document, yeah, it's, it's so good, oh so good, yeah, so, and a lot of the idea of that, of being, like, conscious and present and just aware, I think awareness is really, literally the first thing that is going to unlock this more conscious lifestyle and a lot of people live um or travel kind of unaware which is it's not surprising either like we just look around us and people are like really unaware of themselves really unaware of how they treat other people how they make other people feel so of course that unawareness kind of goes into travel too like they're unaware that the the tortoiseshell you know bracelet that they're buying is probably not the most wise or ethical, you know, souvenir choice or like, you know, stuff like that. Um, so just being aware and by, and by being aware and how to become aware is really by doing a little bit more, um, taking more time to reflect on how your, your choices lead to your actions and how that can really have a ripple effect out in the world. Um, I always think about responsible travel with certain pillars, like there's the economic pillar, there's um, the environmental pillar, there's like the social pillar. And like, basically, if your choice is impacting negatively, I, you know, one of those pillars, um, maybe you can take the time to invite that awareness in to your choice, your decision making. Um, and it can be very simple as to like just doing your due diligence before you plan a trip on finding which tour, you know, 
avoids wildlife encounters. Like, um, you know, something just being a little bit more conscious of how you decide to do things um, at every single stage of the trip planning phase (laughs) and not just the planning part, but also the, the action of it too. So it's, it's all correlated. It's an ecosystem. Um, but yeah, I don't know (laughs) if that answers it, but it really is for me like, um, a conscious decision in everything that I do to try and follow that decision down to its manifestation and beyond. So thinking about, you know, what I do now, how that impacts the future, how it impacts the people around me, the environment, the local community. Um, And I think especially with nomadism, I I have to be a little bit more aware of that because, you know, I'm integrating into uh, host communities that can, you know, quickly become fragile if there were a wave of, let's say, last the last tourist tourists were to come in and like not really be aware of their impact. It can really uh, harm uh, local communities and the environment. So it's really important. I think that everyone just takes a little bit more time and it's not like more effort is like, it's not harder to do to be responsible than to kind of like sideline it and not really think about it you know it takes the same amount of energy to cause harm or to do good so I prefer to take the time and make those conscious decisions as much as I can (laughs) yeah no I absolutely love that I think it's so (laughs) important for all of us to try to incorporate into our travels because I mean when we travel I think a part of people not realizing um, their actions and how they impact the communities it comes to the fact that when we travel, like we're doing it mostly for ourselves and we don't realize that we're actually Mm -hmm. in somebody else's home and the actions that we make have such a tremendous impact on on the local community, on the country that we're visiting, especially to these more developing countries. It's even more important to be more Mm -hmm. mindful of our actions and of our presence in um, these more delicate um, places. So was there like a specific trip or experience that you had that made you realize the importance of being a more mindful traveler or is it something you've always been passionate about? Um, I guess it goes hand in hand with my passion for humanitarianism, humanitarian aid that I really wanted to get into. I always wanted to go into the Peace Corps, um, but that's a different story. Um, And then there was, I think after my year living in Kathmandu, Nepal, that I started to really awaken to the reality of certain issues affecting the world and tourism as well. I got to see like the positive impact of tourism there and the negative impact, um, corruption locally and like how quickly, um, you know, facades can come up in in the pretense of doing good under tourism and it's actually causing harm. It's just like for PR purposes, Um, you know, so there's like a lot of NGOs in Kathmandu that aren't really, they're more there for the opportunity to make money rather than to actually help the community. 
And just being more aware of what was happening around me made me more aware of what was happening from my own hand. And so that had a great impact on me living there um, in a country like Nepal for a year. And then everywhere I went after that, um, I've always thought about my time there and my impact. (laughs) And it could be like some big issues, like there was a fuel crisis in Kathmandu and nobody had oil um, or gas for cooking and locals were making fires in the street to just make their dinner and stuff. And we had no electricity and, you know, like issues like the expats uh, buying their gas on the black market, which caused the price of life-saving fuel for the locals to go up 10 times so they couldn't buy it anymore and then you know it it ended up being that the more wealthy you know groups uh in the city could afford it but then a lot of the locals suffered uh, as a result could be like more complex issues like that to the simple fact of when to not use a hairdryer because you will literally blow the electricity out for your home and for the neighborhood because of load shedding in Kathmandu. Like I plugged in my hairdryer as like this really unaware foreign girl who wanted to dry her hair because it was cold and boom, like electricity gone. Um, You know, just being a little bit more aware and in tune with the situation. Um, And really putting aside your own your own belief systems really breaking those down which is hard to do but being actually open and aware to the fact that you have them is already the first step and yeah so i think that that whole year did a lot of a lot of work on me uh broke down the the debris that i was before and really started it was the catalyst to i guess who i am today uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a really beautiful and unique experience that you had, um, and you also yeah, made a about why it's so important to consider responsible travel is because at the end of the day, as a traveler, you're going to make an impact, whether mm-hmm. it's good or bad. Like, there's no escaping. You're making um, a difference in that place that you're in. And so it's up to us to decide if it's a good impact or a bad impact. Um, And one really key thing that you try to do when you travel is slow travel and you call yourself a slow matter and your podcast (laughs) name references this as well. So can you talk about the term slow travel and how it relates to traveling responsibly? Yes, of course. So Um, I just got into slow travel quite naturally, having lived for six months for a year in different countries. So uh, I never really coined it as slow travel back then, but I do now because it really separates from this kind of nomadic, faster paced travel. So slow travel really invites the opportunity to not just slow one's travels down literally or physically saying like one week versus one month, um, which it does do that. But for me, it also implies more sustainable, mindful, responsible travel because we do as slow travelers have the opportunity to integrate into these communities. We get a deeper connection. We learn more. Therefore we become more aware. We are more educated about the place we're living in. 
we also have the opportunity to get involved more, to volunteer, to really support locally, um, and to try and see, like, yeah, the real situation kind of on the ground. Um, so slow travel is really multifaceted for me. Not only are you saving kind of on your travel footprint by not taking planes and, you know, hopping from country to country every other month, but you're you're just literally slowing everything down more, spreading yourself out. And it's it's not to say that fast trips or like backpacking trips are bad. Like I just did a 40-day trip. Even that is kind of slow travel for some people who, you know, go to Asia maybe for a week, but that's all that they have, you know, and it's not that that that's bad. Um, and that slow travel is necessarily like the superior, <laughs> um, not, not that at all, but it's more about, yeah, like I said, it's really multifaceted. So it's also about um, slowing down for environmental sustainable purposes and that could just be also about your choice um like a slow traveler might decide to take an eight-hour train instead of a two-hour plane ride um or you know stuff like that so it, it operates not in just to how you actually travel but into the choices that empower those <laughs> actions so shopping locally eating more locally um supporting sustainable tours and tour companies um looking out for these kind of things while also literally slowing down down excuse me staying three months here six months there um and it's also a mindset so it's kind of hard to <laughs> um you know pinpoint those things about slow travel exactly because they're really interrelated and they're, like I said there's many spaces of slow travel and for me they all interconnect so but yeah I just love it and I think if everyone could they should I know that it's already a privilege to be able to slow travel um I don't feel like righteous about slow travel at all I want to just share about its benefits with people so that they can you know, invite the same kind of consciousness and awareness and positivity into their travels because it impacts, like we were talking about, not just their understanding of a place or culture or even of themselves, but, you know, the whole, the whole ecosystem, everyone benefits, I think. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And I think it just comes down to your intentions when you travel somewhere, like, Exactly, yeah. Like traveling is a privilege that we all have. And if you're going to visit somewhere, then I think it's only like our obligation to try our best to leave as um, less of a footprint as we can when we go. Mm -hmm. um, so another key statement that you wrote on your blog that I found mm -hmm. under the article titled The Complete Guide to Ethical Travel, you write that everything you buy is a vote. So can you elaborate on how we can vote with our dollars when we travel? Yes, uh, that is really good that you found that because as I was mentioning earlier, like this um, mindset of slow travel is also, you know, thinking about responsible travel, sustainable travel. So when we make our purchases abroad, um, like I, like I mentioned in my article, it's a vote to what you support. So if there's an opportunity to support, you know, a local business, um, you know, that's really 
integrated into the community versus something that's a little bit more commercial, maybe cheaper, more modern, or whatever the you know opposite is. Um, a lot of people are going to default to the cheaper, more convenient option. They're not really going to make themselves kind of or like inconvenience themselves to make the better purchasing power choice. But that really does have a lot of impact, not just in the community, but in like generating revenue for local families and businesses, but also in how you want to invest in that community's future. So an example would be like, um, let's see, like the place I've lived before in Tulum, Mexico, it's really getting overrun by real estate and it's like really rich um condo developers starting these ultra luke's like villas and condos for rent for like three to four thousand dollars a month which is insane um to expats and people who can afford it but that power you know like you might think, oh, I'm only there for three months or something. It's not really going to have an impact. I got my pool. I've got my on-site gym. I've got all this, that, and the other. Um, but really what you're doing with your dollars there is you're voting for more real estate, more more expensive villas that only expats can buy. Um, and by doing that, you're literally forcing the local population out further and further away from a community that they've grown up in. So that's just one example, but um, it really, whatever you buy abroad, and I'm not talking just about souvenirs, but you know, like rent or supporting locally, like it really trickles down and it can go way down into complex issues such as politics. Like you really have an influence um, with how you end up spending your money, especially abroad, but um yeah, and I, I, I think it's hard to track that purchase sometimes. Like we, you know, there's greenwashing, there's false advertising, um, there's just scams. And it's really hard sometimes to differentiate that as a traveler, which is, you know, even more important on the fact that we need to kind of be more conscious of these things. Um, and yeah, all we can do is try our best learn from our mistakes. I know that I've made some choices in the past that I wouldn't be proud of today, you know, so, but it's all a learning process. Um, we got to think about wildlife, protecting wildlife. We got to think about protecting locals, um, their dignity and their livelihoods. We have to think about a lot of these things and, um, it kind of can be a lot. And like people, I think are afraid to do it wrong, like do responsible or sustainable travel wrong. Um, but it's not really about that. You know, like I was a really quite not strict vegetarian for a couple of years, but, um, I always told people like, it's not about being perfect. It's just about doing what you can, you know, like if you can eat less meat, then do it. But if you can't, then like, don't sweat about it. And now I'm like way more open about it. Um, and I think that that kind of mindset should be invited into everyone's mm, understanding around um, sustainable travel, responsible travel, all of that, because we do what we can um, and we can learn and we need to be able to talk about it with our family members and stuff because it's not easy, you know, like 
um, when you go abroad and let's say your family goes on a really unsustainable, really disastrous cruise or something, you know, like cruises are really detrimental to the environment sometimes. And, you know, there's different levels of that, but yeah, the big fancy smanchy ones and like those can do, um, a lot of harm to local populations and the environment. Um, so like maybe you have a family member or a friend who loves that type of travel. It's not about judging them or about showing that they're wrong or you're right or something. It's just about inviting that awareness into their space because again, they might not be unaware, you know, that they're doing anything harmful, you know, like people that see that pay to see wildlife in captivity, they're actually huge animal lovers. Like they love, you know, seeing the lions in Africa and the elephants and stuff. And that's why they go and they think, you know, they're contributing their their purchasing their dollars is contributing to the well being of those animals when in fact it's kind of perpetuating this capture of wildlife um and mistreatment of. So yeah, it's we we have a lot of power in our dollars and um in our in our money um which you know relates back to everything about how we perceive and understand the world around us so yeah it always comes back to that seed um that seed of awareness yeah yeah that's super powerful yeah <laughs> i think has a lot of big problems that we can't tackle necessarily as an individual, but it is about making those small choices um, every time we we travel and just in our everyday yeah. lives. And and so it, like it's yeah. not necessarily about spending a year um, doing like maybe a work exchange somewhere and yeah. working on a farm. Like you don't have to do <laughs> that to be a responsible traveler. You could just yeah. simply, like you said, develop that awareness and more mindfulness when you do um, like make these these small decisions. And so what are some ways that we could start to become more mindful, responsible tourists when we travel and just, you know, some small ways? I think really everyone should start with a little bit more research. Um, when traveling, better planning equals, well, will lead to better doing. So um being a little bit more aware of the offers that are out there instead of just doing the copy paste, um, like what's given to you kind of thing. So if you get offered, you know, if you're looking for tours to do, maybe take some time first to see, are there any more like eco focused, sustainable, sustainably supported um, companies out there doing something similar that offer a little bit more of a, environmentally friendly or wildlife friendly experience um and just by doing that you know you you'll be surprised at like what you can find and it's just it you know not just in travel but it's like if I was looking at mattresses for the van yesterday and like there's like um ton like you know 90 percent of the options let's say nine out of ten of the options were like you know commercial processed mattresses late um chemical full of chemicals and whatever but then there's that one that's like the planet conscious one that's made out of um 
wool and organic cotton and like even organic latex and it's like this has got 70 percent post-consumer recycled plastic and it's like okay it's three times the price but maybe it's gonna last maybe three times longer it's three times better for me it's three times like that that vote right there is already better um and, and in some cases it's not like it's even more expensive there's organic alternatives for things there's sustainable experiences that you can do abroad that are the same price or even cheaper than some of like the mass exploited tours, the the mass markets. Like if you really try to think local um, and shop locally, it's actually more affordable because it is for locals. Um, you know, one reason that we do live abroad is because it's it's more affordable for us. And that doesn't mean that because we could have the potential to spend more that we should. That is really important. So staying local um, benefits us, but it also um, injects into the local economy, the local population. So I think research and by just taking that initiative, you're going to find opportunities that are out there that are better choices. And it all starts really there. So I think there's, of course, a ton of different ways like little things but they're like you know buy more sustainable like don't like try to lower your consumerism like you don't need to shop at the markets for unsustainable clothes maybe find a alternative or you know not doing takeout in a destination or something or bringing your own utensils or your own shopping bags um using natural products whenever possible uh not buying any like bottled water or you know single use plastics when you're out being conscious of all those things recycling if you live abroad um and finding ways to mitigate and manage and reduce overall your consumption um that's always just like kind of a um an essential but yeah a lot of people won't make the effort to find a water refill up uh if they're traveling they'll just buy bottled water instead or you know, there's cer- certain things that you can do to already reduce what you're what you're using. Um, and I think, yeah, keep it simple because it can feel overwhelming. But if you just do things simply, um, invite awareness again and do some research, it, it will already change a lot in your experience, I think. <laughs> yeah, one decision at a time. Um, One of my favorite things to be a more mindful tourist or traveler is to support local restaurants. And Mm -hmm. we were saying that being a responsible tourist doesn't always mean you have to spend more because I find that if I do find these local family-owned restaurants, it's going to be so much cheaper than if you go to the really popular tourist trap kind of eating chains. And it feels so much better to know that your money is going towards a family rather than Mm -hmm. a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I have about hotels, especially in the States. And oh my gosh, like you can (laughs) spend literally $200 to stay at a comfort inn. And people do this for their vacations where you could just find a local homestay. um, And this might not be so much in the culture of the U S but it, it could be, you know, like in, in places like Guatemala and stuff, staying with a local family for a month or two weeks or something to learn Spanish will cost you maybe like 700 to to $1,000. 
people would spend that in three days at like some really ugly un environmentally friendly hotel and and you know like the experience that you gain from that local um that local exchange is so much more meaningful and that's again the whole propeller behind slow travel and more more purposeful travel like you were saying mindful travel Mm -hmm. yeah okay so for someone who wants to begin more slow travel what are some things to keep in mind like how do you plan your trips um how do you integrate yourself once you're there and like just in general how do you start navigating life in a foreign place Hmm. yeah so I always approach it as a little checklist um because again it doesn't really need to be complicated and I think people are really scared to well you know they're really hesitant to have all this change but it's really okay like it sometimes it seems scarier than it is like once you do it you're fine like solo travel it seems scary but then you're on it and you're like you're on your trip and you absolutely love it it's kind of like the same thing. There's a lot of pre-action hesitation. Um, but once you're in the action, everything works out. Everything always works out. So if you want to start slow traveling, first, think of that. Think that everything's going to work out for you because it will. I always, always, always think that. No matter if like I have nowhere to sleep that night and it's like a quarter quarter till midnight and yeah like anything can be against me and I'm always inside believing no something's gonna work out because it has to work out like you know as long as you're in not in immediate danger everything's gonna work out so number one having that mindset is really crucial and then two it's really about logistics and keeping things simple find a country that has a relaxed you know visa upon entry opportunity for you based on your passport it's going to change for everybody I'm very privileged I've got the U.S. passport so it's going like I get a lot of places where I can just arrive and have 90 days upon arrival six months here on arrival um after that and you find a destination that you're excited to go into I would look online for accommodation for rentals um you can either do this through Facebook groups reaching out to host on Airbnb or finding like rental websites. There's places or even companies like Remote Year, um, Selena and some others that offer, you know, kind of like this digital nomad atmosphere. Like you get lodged in their facility, you have access to their co-working space. So it's already like if you're really hesitant and you're really new and you don't want to like plan everything on your own, you can rely upon these kind of um companies and their resources to get into the lifestyle and then you can branch out and get a little bit more adventurous on your own move to wherever and just figure out when you're there um that's kind of what we did when we crossed the border from mexico into guatemala we're just like all right let's just go and let's just see what life is like there we ended up staying the full 90 days and absolutely loved it um but yeah so the checklist you know mindset check accommodation check visa check um and then you just get things in order, like make sure that you can travel with, let's say, one backpack or two that you're able to go around, figure out how you're going to get to your accommodation and your destination. Once you get there, it's all about just enjoying, um, discovering, 
starting to integrate with the community, you know, become friends with the bartender at the local brewery. That leads to hanging out over the weekend and going on a really cool epic hike together. It's It kind of works out like that, but you have to be open, stay curious. There's definitely always possibilities to make friends, get involved, um, co-working spaces, hostels, um, local events are my favorite, like live music things and stuff like that, just where you can, you know, communicate, network, um, and yeah, you just basically live your life normally as you would anywhere, but you're just now discovering life in a new place and getting to see what it's all about there, and then maybe if you like it you can stay or if you need to go home you can or if you want to move on find your next destination from there but um it doesn't need to be too complicated for me it's really a about checking off that little checklist one by one getting your ducks in a row so to speak and then just making it happen and not being afraid of the change that's coming to you um and more so not just being afraid but really embracing it because it's all a part of the all part of the fun and the adventure (laughs) yeah no it sounds amazing I can't wait to dive into that kind of traveling more um yeah once we're done school and stuff yeah Yeah, you'll (laughs) love it (laughs) so if you could change one thing about the way people travel what would it be Ooh, I would change everybody's um patience (laughs) with each other um yeah I think especially because I don't know if you saw but when I was on my way to India and my visa got delayed and because I made a mistake and then it got processed three days later I was basically stuck in airports for three days and honestly the patience that it required of me just to like accept and embrace my situation was a lot and I'm quite a seasoned traveler but during those three days I saw a lot of people in situations that were you know not even a percentile of the maybe frustration or impatience of waiting out three days to get to your destination like say like someone had a 30 minute delay or they couldn't fit their second checked bag in something simple you know (laughs) an overweight luggage absolutely losing their minds on other people crying and screaming and just like losing their patience completely and it really sours um your experience of travel because when you're interacting with other people um from different cultures than you from different backgrounds from different services and you kind of associate that with your travel experience you're really what you're doing is blocking any opportunity to be open to new experiences and new kindness and just connection with humanity um i think everybody would really benefit from staying more open when they travel being more patient with people it's it's all coming from you like if you let the light in you're gonna let the light out and a lot of people travel just completely blocked like my worldview don't change it my my interests my likes and dislikes don't change it don't influence me in any way and yet they still kind of want to travel but that's what travel's supposed to do it's supposed to like 
spark changes inside you and really break down your biases and open up your worldview. And when people become intolerant, they kind of block out that opportunity for reflection, for growth, for opportunity. So I would change that. And I think the world would <laughs> would drastically change as well. I'm with you on that. that that's a really good answer. <laughs> yeah, people just, I mean, they have to realize, like, we're more similar at the end of the day than we're not. We're all on the same team here. Like, it's usually never that serious. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah patience, patience is a virtue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I always say, and I always feel, and I really do believe it to be true, like everything always works out, and it might not work out the way you want it to work out, but it will work out in some way, and um, yeah, keeping that in mind has really, really helped me over the years, too, when things have gotten dicey or spicy <laughs> on my adventures. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I have three really quick questions to wrap up so we already talked about your dream destination would it be Egypt you said yeah now it's Egypt but well yeah I've got a lot so (laughs) I just did Japan but I'd love to go back already I really want to do several countries in Africa though Namibia being one Egypt being another Um, but yeah I've got a lot of places left on my bucket list (laughs) Love it. All right. Most memorable meal that you've had? Or maybe not most, but just a memorable meal. Oh, goodness. Um, There's been quite a few, but one that's popping up in my mind right now is a simple (laughs) noodle dish and a milk tea um, because we celebrated with a hearty portion of that and the milk tea once we reached Annapurna Base Camp when we were trekking in the Himalayas. And there's something about milk tea, simple Nepali milk tea and a simple pile of delicious noodles with sauce. Um, When you're at 13,000 feet high, like surrounded by (laughs) snow-capped mountains, that just tastes better than when you're just like in on normal, (laughs) on normal ground. Um, that was just a feeling. I think it's just the feeling of accomplishment that's associated with that meal. And of course, being very hungry, but yeah, memorable for sure. Oh my God. Sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to go okay, back and do then... another track like that again. <laughs> yeah. Me as well. Sounds, <laughs> sounds incredible. And then lastly, what's a special place in your heart? Oh, yeah. I obviously have to say Kathmandu. Um, I think living somewhere really, you know, digs its nails into into your heart deeper than places that you just visit. Um, so having lived there for a while and, you know, I made a couple of best friends there. One is no longer alive. She died of leukemia um, cancer. So I think there's always a special, a special place there because it's kind of like frozen in time um, for me. So even if I go back today, it's not really going to be the same. So Kathmandu, Nepal, just Nepal in general, um, but also Mexico because I've been there for on and off for five years, and it's 
there's something that keeps calling me back for a reason. Two places I have yet to go, but would love to. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. I hope you get to go. They're amazing, completely different from each other, but so rich and so diverse and incredible. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brie. Again, I'm. I really you, enjoyed our Lydia. conversation. <laughs> you shared so much valuable insight. I hope that um, we can take away. And yeah, yeah. if you'd like to leave where we can connect with you, your socials and your podcast. Yes, of course. Well, thank you. First of all, Lydia, I, you know, I really enjoy, I could talk about this, you know, for ages. <laughs> um, it's something I'm really passionate about. So yeah, if anyone has any questions or would like to reach out, you can find me on my newly launched podcast, Slow Mad Stories, or, and if you'd like to be a guest as well, feel free to let me know. Um, but otherwise, my blog and my Instagram is at bucketlistbree or bucketlistbree.com. Um, you can pretty much find me anywhere under that name. So happy to connect. And yeah, thank you again for having me. And thank you for listening. <laughs>Thank you so much for being here and listening to this episode. If you can take 10 seconds out of your day, please spread the travel love by following this podcast and giving it a rating. Or if there's anyone else in your life that has a case of wanderlust, it would mean so much if you shared this episode with them. You can find me sharing even more travel-related content on Instagram at God of Case of Wanderlust and on my personal Instagram at Lydia Schultz, double Z. I also have a travel blog for my extra passionate travelers out there, which can be found at godofcaseofwanderlust.com. And all of this can be found in the show notes.